Hello, and welcome to the Dangerous Unselfishness Podcast. This is your host, Chase Tremaine. I am lacking my co-host, Mark, today. He's taking a break while we wanted to show you a long-form conversation that I got to have recently with David Zack, the singer of the band Remedy Drive. This is possibly one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, but it is more serious than our usual episode. We will be back next week with our usual shenanigans of Is It Five Stars and Made You Listen and whatever other goofy music things we wanted to talk about. But on this episode, David and I take a deep dive into the newest Remedy Drive album, The North Star, and everything that went into the creation of it and the inspiration of it, which namely comes a lot from his work helping an anti-sex trafficking organization. So we do get into some grittier details of what it's like trying to help girls that are stuck in sex trafficking. It also leads to other things, speaking about the effects that art can have on people and how, for his own life, art functions as a way of processing the experiences that he has looking evil in the face. Um, It is an important episode. Uh, It's a topic we need to be discussing And it was moving for me to have this conversation with him. I hope uh, prayerfully that it will have a similar effect on you. So hope you'll buckle up for this episode. And, you know, we'll be back like normal next week. Uh, But as for now, here is David Zach from Remedy Drive. I almost have trouble knowing where to start with this one just Mm. because uh, of everything it uh, deals with and represents. Um, so I guess we should probably start with talking about the Exodus Road. Yeah. Um, you want to just describe what the Exodus Road is and how long you've been with them? The Exodus Road is a abolitionist organization, and uh, started by my friend Matt Parker seven years ago, six years ago, and he started in Southeast Asia rescuing girls out of sex trafficking, underage girls primarily. Yeah. And it's expanded into India and Latin America. And uh, in a couple of months will be my first trip to other countries in Asia that we're expanding into. And it's a, uh, a group of abolitionists that come from the countries we work in. And then volunteers like myself and other people that we recruited uh, that go on short-term deployments. And uh, that those last couple weeks where we work right alongside the national investigators to find actual evidence of sex trafficking in order to partner with authorities to make arrests, to make rescues. And that's happened uh, so far. Um, I think it's at 880 or 90 um, people that have been rescued out of slavery by the Exodus Road so far. It's been exciting to see it. Yeah. Because we've been we've been with them for four and a half years now. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I guess, musically, this kind of change for the band probably goes back to the album Commodity. And you can yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I love uh, the line that Propaganda has on the new album. Mm-hmm. Where he says, like, I want Christ personified, not Christ commodified. Yeah. Which that, that one line, when I first heard it, almost sounds like the mantra of what... Uh, Remedy Drive is about mm. now um, that you know it's easy to turn Christian music into a commodity. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's easy to turn anything into a commodity. We turn Jesus into a commodity all the time, but then to actually personify him 
what you do as a as a musician and as just a human being as a Christian as a believer. And so, in a sense, it almost seems like the music has taken a backseat to more important things. But then also, like the music has been revitalized by those same things, like a very mm. um, symbiotic relationship of. So, like how how has your participation with the Exodus Road been affecting your songwriting process and what what your music means to you? I love that line from from Propaganda, uh, Prop Hip Hop. Uh, <laughs> we met at an event where uh, we played some songs from Commodity, and we actually played Redemption Song that night. And I asked, I felt like I needed to ask permission from the the man with dreadlocks whether or not I could even sing as Prop calls him Prophet. Marley's tune, yeah. you know, um, but there's that tension there in industry, and, and it's it's you know we kind of left it because of that, you know. I don't I I don't want I feel like a commodity so often, yeah. And I realized this is, you know, I I I need to be able to say these things. These are important things to be able to say because I think we all feel that, and there's that constant tension. We're we're both in industry together right what kind of industry well to even say christian industry or worship industry there's just something there's a tension in that 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 is ever apparent to me you know and um sometimes i look at my table with all the shirts and cds and everything i'm worried i'm looking around for a guy with a whip wearing sandals and like a blue sash over his shoulder it's going to knock it all over yeah (laughs) um and so I love it. They said we need Christ personified. So at the same time, there's that tension there, but there's also the tension of, you know, I, on the way here, I read a bumper sticker. It said, hey, all America needs is Jesus. Well, that's true. But that person driving the car needs to be Jesus. And what's that mean? That means something real. It means something tangible because for some reason beyond, I, I don't understand why, but for some reason, the king of the universe has decided instead of coming here in the flesh and, and being Jesus, he has tasked us with the commission of going and and being disciples ourselves, being the skin and bones, the hands and feet of the eternal Savior Yeah, in some way, which I still don't quite understand. <laughs> I'm also frustrated by it sometimes because we're doing such an awful job at it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we do that is through singing. But if singing and praying and talking and bumper stickers, if that's what we're doing then we're missing the mark by um, by by a long shot yeah and i don't see people saying that you know people say we need jesus we need prayer we need these lyrics that keep people comfortable and happy i don't know how many times i was told there's a woman driving in her minivan on the way to work or on the way to school and you got three minutes she just needs something comfort her you know and, and this are like they're telling you this in terms of like what they want you to write for your next album. Write, yeah, yeah. Like, is coming. Well, that you know, and nothing that's a, against that. That's but, a good tune, and, yeah. and 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 even in that tune, you know, it has the, the darkness must precede the dawn, and that you know it's and it's not always you know a song doesn't have to end happy, an album doesn't have to end happy. Yeah, and that's a long answer to your question, but I I don't feel like I've left the the the, the music. I feel like the music is more informed by the work. And is validated by the work because I would feel like an absolute fraud singing these lyrics without having some something in my life that backs it up. Right. Because they're written to me. Like, what are you doing? Where are you? God called us to the front lines. And what are you doing yeah. in your comfortable Tennessee suburb? Yeah. Um, 
I, don't know, I, I think a, a pattern that I keep on seeing with artists is that when they're full time, like seven days a week is just writing, performing music, touring it. Um, like too often they, they've, they get completely disrupted by that dichotomy in their lives of they're not really like living out the thing that they're singing. Mm. Um, and so I'm finding it a really important thing for artists to have something non-musical that's going on in their lives mm. that is providing the foundation upon which like, they're writing songs that matter and they're writing songs that they sing honestly. Was that kind of tension driving you to like get involved somewhere? Like the, did you sort of like need that or seek that out or did it, it more happen like backwards where you just like, you were invited to help with Exodus road and then realized that that was an avenue that actually provided, it was like the, the Christ personification. Yeah. Well, the series of seemingly miraculous events in my life, mm-hmm. these uh, collisions of circumstances um, and the level of inspiration I had from different movies documentaries, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech that he gave the day before he died when he said, now is the time for us to develop a kind of dangerous and selfishness. The, the amount of magnetism and gravity to those words for me, yeah. it's hard to explain how much that affected me. Um, and if that was just the one thing, that would have been enough. Uh, but just over and over and over again, we would open up at festivals or we'd play right after a counter-trafficking organization. And I was always moved by these guys. I'd see them up on stage talking about their work. I was like, man. Yeah, like if, IJM? Was that uh, IJM was there. Um, Love 146 at a small club show we did. And every time I was like, man, if I, you know, if it wasn't for the music and the family, you know. And so I started, I'd run across articles that I'd read. Um, the Coney 2012 was, was, a, was a huge influence that, documentary about boy soldiers mm-hmm. and you might you've probably read it before my daughter said dad why not god protect those boys and i was like yeah why doesn't he where is he where are you and that started to come out in lyric and that lyric would get shut down <laughs> by the gatekeepers immediately like you mm-hmm. can't say jesus where are you well that's all my namesake did the psalmist you know he said stuff like that all the time yeah and uh, it just kept on growing in the songs and then so i'd be writing this song i was like writing about boy soldiers i'd research it then I ran across uh, an amazing woman named Shannon Sedgwick Davis, right? And she uh, was part of a group that helped take down in a large part and minimize the destructive efforts of, of the warlord Joseph Coney. And, yeah. and she wrote um, something that really convicted me. She, she says, we, we put up a warning, an alert sign. We, we help um, take care of these kids when we, when we get them out of this conflict. She says, but really, at the end of the day, it feels like we're just putting Band-Aids on bullet holes. And that was where Commodity was born. And that was all before I met Matt Parker. Oh, wow. This was all before I met him. Yeah. And so, that, and so the day before I met him, my, my best friend, Jeremy Cowart, the uh, photographer, a celebrity photographer, but also a philanthropist, spoke. And he said of his help portrait event where they take pictures of needy people, um, he, he took a picture of a working girl. And they frame it and they say a picture is worth, which it seems so insignificant, so small. You know, what's the big deal about a photograph? Mm -hmm. That's the way you feel. But then when you hear him tell the story and you hear him talk about how this woman's son looked at that photo. And because of the way she saw her boy looking at this frame photo, she said, 
I can't be in this line of work anymore. And she, then that photo changed her life and pulled her out of that lifestyle. And at the end of that, the, the um, it was that journey, a place I go on Sunday mornings. Jamie said, "Hey, world peace is a great thing to shoot for, but there is something that you can do, similar to what Jeremy does with Help Portrait. So go start something like Help Portrait. Just go do it. Accomplish that." And um, the next day was the day I met Matt Parker. <laughs> he came to Nashville. He had four managers or artists cancel on him. So it was at the end of a really disappointing day for him that I show up late. <laughs> like I was for this interview. <laughs> um, and immediately... All of that, all those moments, watching 12 Years of Slave, watching Cloud Atlas, Martin Luther King Jr., it's all ringing in my ears. My daughter's question, it all just came to a point, and I said, if you're doing that, I want to do that. I'm, we're with you. We don't want your money. It has to be real if we're going to sing about this. We're writing songs about this. All that converged in that moment. Yeah. And he responds with, well, you got to ask your wife. <laughs> Went home. And it says, what are you talking about? No way. Yeah. And uh, he comes over for breakfast. And my wife's in tears hearing what they were doing, hearing about the raids that get tipped off, hearing about the danger of it all, hearing about the mafias, hearing about these precious girls that are stuck in it. Then she says, David's going to join you. This will be our legacy. Then that's where it all started. Yeah. Man, I was going to ask how your wife feels when you go on these three-week trips to different countries. She, um, she's proud of me and she has been, the band's always been this thing that disrupts our, our birthdays and our important days together and our time together. Right. But now it has this purpose to it that we're making this co-sacrifice together. And she went with me in January. She met a lot of girls. She went, she went under cover yeah. under the pretense of being there for other reasons. She knows their stories. She, she believes in the work. The difficulty of being apart is almost overshadowed by the gravity of what we're doing and this strange force that propelled us into it to begin with yeah. as a family. So we know this is what we are supposed to be doing right now. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to do it because we know that. And I read that, uh, like, a lot of your undercover work happens at night. Yeah. So during the daytime, you were working on the North Star. Yeah. Is there, like, songs on the album that were actually written overseas while you're waiting for your next undercover shift to start, so to speak? Yeah, then, and that's not just in January, because it was in January I took my brother, Philip, that produced the album, and we we actually started recording some of this and trying to match lyric with with beats and, and that happened on rooftops it happened in hotels it happened on the beach we were constantly you know flying from city to city we were working on the lyric but then reaching back into the past 3 years since commodity came out and even before that there was a lot of lines that that didn't make it onto commodity and the way i the way i write is there's something that hits me and it's interesting as long as I can find a partner for it. So a couplet, as long yeah. as I can find a rhyme there. And I usually like to rhyme in the middle of the, both of them too. Yeah. Um, 
I just have tons of those all over the place. And I'm not very organized. So some of them are on my computer, some of them are written down, some of them are on my phone in the notes of my phone. Some of them are recorded <laughs> on an audio message. Yeah. And then when I, you know, then sometimes I do get organized and I compile them all on a text edit document. And then it's like finding these little nuggets here and there that I didn't know existed. It's a blast. Mm-hmm. And then seeing that some of them already fit in, in like the same canter. That's what was happening a lot in January is finding all that stuff that a lot of it was written also on previous um, deployments with the Exodus Road. It's a really a fantastic. I'm, I'm, I feel bad for guys that aren't artists that do this kind of work because for me, it's a great way to debrief. Yeah, that's a better word for it. You know, to uh, unwind, to come to grips with what I just saw and what I just experienced, and almost to process it. Process that's a yeah, word. and that is my process, and it's and it 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 takes the power away from that heaviness for me a little bit. I was told a story once that the theoretically the reason why a lot more or many more soldiers from World War II have PTSD. And soldiers from World War One is because the soldiers from World War One came back on boats, and so they had months together to talk it all out, well, well. to debrief and decompress and process. Yeah. Whereas soldiers from, uh, you know, so so many soldiers from World War Two were just like flown back very mm. quickly, thrown back into their lives, and the transition was too tough. They didn't have anyone they felt like they could talk to about it. Mm. But in a way, I, I almost think not only does getting to write. Um, like you just said, getting to write these songs is a process for you and like for your own like debrief and decompressing. Um, but I imagine it helps people hearing it deal with these thoughts and these questions and these yeah. world problems we see as well and try to process it. It's 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 at the same time a much more direct and in your face way of discovering these issues. Yeah, but it has that element of comfort in with the, the difficulty. Yeah. Um, and for me, we, we do a lot of debriefing as a team with the Exodus Road. After every night, we have a short debrief, and the next morning we have a longer debrief where we talk about things that really stick with us and haunt us. And there's always a few things, in addition to everything that's awful about it, there's always a few things that are especially uh, way heavy on you. And one of my friends from the Exodus Road that we actually recruited at a concert from down here in the South. He had been shot out of a plane or a helicopter in conflict in Afghanistan. So this guy, special forces, master sergeant in the Army, can't serve in that capacity anymore. So he's working with guys that have P- PTSD here in the States. It's one of his ministries. Well, he comes to me after a concert and said, I, I want to go over. And so he comes over a few times, and now he lives there with his family. He's volunteered his time, his money, wow. and he's heading up operations in a certain part of the, of the world. Yeah. Um, but he told me, he's like, at, you know, on a deployment with the military, he's like, you see heavy things, and from time to time there's some really traumatic, there's some trauma that, that you experience. He's like, but doing this work with the Exodus Road, it's, there's a, there is trauma every night. Um, and some of it is first degree, and some of it is that tertiary trauma, that kind of trauma that when you're in close proximity with someone else it sticks to you yeah and I don't know if he he's nameless so I, I don't know if you'd mind me telling telling this but he he teared up the other day listening to uh, Sunlight on Her Face from the North Star mm. yeah first uh, one of three times in the last 30 years he said that he's teared oh. up <laughs> and that, that was moved me 
the fact that, I mean, that really moved me, and I'm glad it's there for people in this work, not just with the Exodus Road, but people in organizations all around the world are listening to these songs and finding yeah. comfort and encouragement in them because they're not just lamenting slavery and injustice and the refugee crisis. It's not just a lament of that, but it's also a celebration of people doing frontline work, personifying Christ, like Rob said. Yeah. And I, I think that's the difference between commodity and the North Star. Is the North Star, commodity just points something out and shining a light. We're still shining that light. Yeah. Um, but the thing about doing this work, I've, get to, I've got to see firsthand bravery and courage in people, watching ordinary humans step into extraordinary roles in arenas of justice and mercy and compassion. Yeah. It's it's taking that faith, which was so profoundly shaken when I had to face these things face to face. And all those questions, the Lord, where are you? Now I see where he is. Yeah. There he is. He's with my friend Drew overseas, is what we call him. It's nice. <laughs> he's, you know, he's with my friend Sudhir in India. That's how he's working. That's where he's working. And I want that to be true of me as well. Yeah. I like that you said, like, commodity was shining a light, but now North Star's doing something different. Something that's been bothering me just in society at large over the past few years is what I would say would be an overemphasis on awareness. Mm. Because everyone's trying to make everyone aware of everything. Yeah. Um, but then, like, I see so many people stopping there. Yeah. Stopping at an awareness of sex trafficking. Um. But then a lot that all the people know how to do is um, maybe give money to an organization. Yeah. And what, um, you know, obviously, as Christians, I don't think um, we should forget how powerful prayer can be. Because um, I think, uh, you know, the onlooking world will say, like, your prayers do nothing. Um, when we're actually saying, like, no, I'm taking a step back from my pride and not thinking that I can complete this by myself, but actually, instead of doing something in my own action, I'm taking a step back and trying, giving it to God instead. Um, For the purpose of taking a step forward. Exactly. Right? To then a take lot a step of steps forward. forward. Exactly. Uh, that's even like what we do with the Sabbath. We're saying that God can do with more six days than we can do with seven. Hmm. Um, that's a cool way to say it. I'm sure I'm still stealing it from someone. I'm not sure who. Um, but uh, what what would what kind of actions would you like to see the North Star like spurring people toward? So Frederick Douglass said, "I prayed for 20 years and I didn't see any results until I prayed with my feet." <laughs> <laughs> Similar to uh, in the writings of a prophet named Isaiah and another one named Amos, paraphrasing, but pretty close is, hey, your songs are actually starting to annoy me. Your noisy ego music, as the message translates it. I asked for justice. I asked for oceans of it. This is the kind of fast that I'm after. This is the kind of religious exercise I'm after. And in fact, says God, uh, through the Proverbs and the Psalms and a couple other times, and he says it straight up, I'm going to plug my ears when you pray because you have plugged your ears to the plight of the poor and the oppressed. Yeah. And that's strong. And it's crazy, but I still feel a sense of hesitancy to, to even quote that scripture because I know how much it bugs people. 
even my mom and I are constantly having these great conversations. She's like, what do you mean my thoughts and prayers are nice, but they won't suffice? Give me bravery. Give me sacrifice. She's like, are you devaluing prayer? Like, no. But just like with faith, if, it, if it's not combined with action, then it's worthless. Right. You have, you know, we like, as William Wilberforce put it, you know, you can never again say you don't know this stuff is going on. Right. And I've tried to refine what I'm saying. I want to be overly clear. Not everybody is called to be an abolitionist. <laughs> Not everybody right. is called to to help, even to help hold up the arms of groups like the Exodus Road. There are arenas of justice, mercy, compassion, and freedom that sometimes they overlap. They don't always overlap. But I do believe this with all my heart. You are instructed by Scripture to be involved in something. Yeah. One of these areas, some sort of self-sacrificial service, this laying down of your life for the sake of your neighbor or your neighbor's daughter. I don't know what it looks like for somebody else. And that's hard for me. I'm putting together remedydrive.com backslash action. It's going to be what people that I know of are doing in small ways and big ways. Drew, he's overseas with his family. Yeah, People can do that. You, you, you know, kids are skipping a year of school and it, sometimes it takes over for them. Sometimes they never go to college because they realize this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm learning so much doing it. Yeah. Um, a kid just flew over because of that Martin Luther King Jr. quote, which I, I say every time I talk, dangerous unselfishness. He's went to Turkey and helped work with refugees, help feed and, and love and clothe refugees that are waiting for somewhere to some their intents, you know, yeah. waiting for someone to take them in. Um, a girl ran a 5K in stiletto high heels and raised hundreds of dollars for the Exodus Road. Raised all sorts of awareness. <laughs> her feet bled. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She walked it. And I think a guy carried her for the last bit. Because, you know. And that moves you. And it seems small. It seems insignificant. But what is one voice against such, a, such an evil? It's one voice, man. And I think there's two reasons why we don't take action. Because awareness, you're right. A lot of people are raising awareness. But um, awareness without action is called apathy still. Yeah. You know, it's still apathy. Why don't we act? Because it's too big. There's 40 million slaves. It's too big. I can't really make an impact when there's 40 million slaves. Yeah. There's more slaves than any other time in human history. There are more refugees than any other time in human history. Racial inequality is not something that I feel like I can fix. Um, there's more people hungry. There's water problems. There's girls walking all day just to get water. Think of what they could do if someone would have dug a well in their community. Um, but I, I don't have a, I don't have a way to dig a well. You know, there's and that's that, that that's overwhelming. I think people are overwhelmed. Yeah. And what I'd say to people that feel overwhelmed is, man, I just got one microphone. I have my voice. It's wearing out. It is literally wearing out, but I'm going to use it until it's gone. I'm going to spend my voice on behalf of the oppressed. And I'm going to spend my time, and you can spend your youth, or you can hoard it and save it, or you can spend it. And Isaiah says, if we spend ourselves on behalf of the oppressed and the poor, then our light will rise like the noonday. And what we need right now, especially in this country, is we need a light because someone has taken a bushel basket and put it over the testimony covered up the candle and when people look in from the outside they don't see a light they see a lot of things but they're not seeing a light yeah if you're if you ever read comments if you ever read what people are saying from the outside looking in but matthew in the words of jesus uh quoted by matthew he says if you would just do these good works then they're going to look in at your good works and they're going to see that light and they're going to glorify me 
And God says over and over and over again, go do these good works yeah. in the arena of justice, compassion, mercy. Go do something physical and tangible, because if you do it, then they're going to glorify me. They're going to look at it and say, oh, that's what little Christ means. That's what Christian means, little Christ, right? Yeah. That's the personified. That's who he is. He is the God that brings justice, that brings freedom, that feeds and clothes, that finds the oppressed, that has a home for the homeless. That's who he is. That's the heart of the king of the universe. But I feel like we're out of touch with that heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Something has crept in from our pulpits. Or maybe it's not necessarily something that's crept in. It's something that's lacking. And that is what I feel like is so overly emphasized in Scripture. And that, that is the whole purpose of this freedom that we've been given yeah. is for us to go out and be ambassadors. And he says, go and teach this to everybody in the whole planet. Yeah. Telling them to observe what I taught you. What did he teach us? He taught us when he separated the sheep from the goats, that he is that refugee. He is that homeless person in our communities. He is that hungry person, that thirsty person. He is that person that's enslaved. Yeah. You know, if you know that parable, he also taught us that to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind is the same as the second commandment, which is to love our neighbors herself. They're tied together, he tells us. And that when we walk on that dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho, that when we see a guy laying there beat up, that the way to love God is to love that guy. Even if we think that guy's going to trick us, and that guy represents potential danger to us. Even if we're on our road to our worship services, those are the guys he got irritated at, was the guy in the road, right? Uh, he doesn't want to get his road bloody. He doesn't want to have to go do all this religious stuff all yeah. over again. He's going to be late for church service, essentially. Those two guys, they both look <laughs> yeah. the other way, right? Yeah. And William Wiversett said, you can, you know, but you can't say you didn't know. And um, I don't want to be somebody that looks away from that guy. And it's hard to look at that guy. It's hard to look at these girls and see what they're going through. It's hard to... But I have a belief that if we look towards that sorrow and don't look away from that sorrow and draw near to that sorrow and make that sorrow our sorrow and weep with those who weep as the Bible commands, Right. then we will become more like Christ. And our testimony, that light could turn back on here in this country. That light that is so tarnished by scandal, by demagoguery, by, um, by selling our soul out for political reasons, that could change in this country. And people would see, oh, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. I can get behind that. Maybe I'm not into it, but I can at least say, I can at least applaud that. And, and then eventually, maybe it'll draw people in because as, as we draw near to Christ, he draws us to him. That's my dream. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a massive dream. Can I, can I really accomplish that with a song? I think so. I want to be just as audacious and naive as that kid that brought five loaves of bread and two fish right. on the hillside when there was 5,000 people starving. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the right, What can I do with this little thing? Um, and man, I'll take it. There's plenty of, you know, if I'm Peter at that moment, I'm going to make fun of that kid. I'm going to be like, man, get out of here. You, yeah. you don't understand. You can't do that. And I'm getting that all over the place. And that's fine. You know, and I forgive him. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, those guys came around. I mean, it took them a while. How many miracles did they have to see? Eventually they <laughs> came around. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, how, how do you start building any house? One brick at a time. Yeah. And I think, at least I've seen this in myself, and I won't necessarily accuse the entire American culture of this, but that idea of, like, I'm just one person, what can I accomplish? Mm -hmm. um, I think we, we frame that in humility. 
Mm. I'm like, oh, it's just little me. Like yeah. there, there, there's so little I can do. When really it's 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 the facade of humility covering up pride mm. that we want to be able to make a big impact. We want the big splash. We want um, to be known for the impact that we'll have. And if it's not a big enough accomplishment that we see being feasible, mm. then we don't want to go after the small one. Yeah. Um, and it's like we'd rather start the company that's trying to end world hunger. And so we have this big office that we're driving through every day to, to fix world hunger. And we're just passing by the eight starving people on the street on mm. our drive to work. And that is, it's, it's a, it is, I like how you pinpointed that. It's a false humility. Yeah. And I have to turn from that. I mean, I want, we all do. <laughs> I want, I want, you know, we, we, we left a lot by going indie and, and, and not writing songs specifically for Christian radio. Yeah. We lost a lot of influence. We lost a lot of platform. And I do, I do want this to be more well-known. You know, I want more people singing these songs because I believe in them. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't despise the day of small things. Yeah. You know, Daniel, the prophet, said if you turn many to righteousness, you're, you'll shine like the stars forever. And I think the way that we, Remedy Drive, can accomplish that is through our example, telling this story and, and framing it in such a way as like, this is what we do. What are you going to do? And that is going to be immeasurable because then those people are going to go be brave and be courageous and realize the goodness and the, and the value that they have in small ways to offer these movements. And then that also will, will ripple out and ripples turn to tidal waves. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel cheesy anymore quoting my lyrics all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe be, in them so much. Yeah. I it should be the, the natural outflow yeah. of your heart. So, <laughs> uh, and you know, to your credit, like, yeah, it's hard to imagine songs from the North star being played on Christian radio. Um, but I also think this is your best work. Thank you. And so I, I only see it going up from here. Unless you were just saying like you just lose your voice completely. <laughs> I think I got it. I think I got another decade. <laughs> another, another few albums in there. So you've mentioned uh, Daniel, Amos, Isaiah. And one of, the, one of my favorite lines from the album, the one, the one that really stuck out, and there's a lot of standout lines, but uh, don't take the prophets out of context. Uh, you can't love mercy if you love conquest. Mm. Was there anything in particular you were referring to there? Well, like I said, it rhymed good. Um, <laughs> I was I heard that and I was curious if there was any prophets in particular if you were thinking of Isaiah, if you were thinking of um, Prophet Bob Marley. Well, <laughs> the uh, Jesus Freak Hideout review, yeah. whoever reviewed it, the other review, wrote down uh, prophets, which I thought was a nice little twist, actually. P-R-O-F-I-T-S. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Um but it was supposed to meant she meant that way. I see, you know, I see a lot of justification for a lot of apathy. And I see a lot of justification coming from religious people for propping up um, awfulness. Uh, industry. Uh, this, this unholy union between religion and empire um, is what I'm lamenting here. Yeah. Render to Caesar, man. That's fine. But why do we give so much more than what is Caesar's to Caesar as people that believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ? Yeah, we give him what is the Lord's too. I think so. And that's, I mean, 
that's I'd have to tread so delicately with that. And then when I write the lyric, I had a chance to really make sure it was exactly what I want to say. And that is, uh, we can't love mercy if we love conquest. And I don't, I see a trend throughout history of people not speaking out and even propping up um, some really awful things that is, is done in the name of Jesus, is done, you know, colonialism as an example, right? Yeah. I see it going on today. And I see corporations having more rights than living human beings. And in that song, I reference all sorts of things. Blood diamonds. Is this little tiny diamond in my pinky ring a blood diamond? I have no way of knowing for sure. And I know because of my refugee friends from the Congo that in this phone, in this iPhone, the East and the West have converged upon this country that was blessed and cursed with natural resources and strip-minded of all its value at the expense of the people propping up awful, corrupt dictators and presidents that 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 take all the wealth out of the country and, and give none of it back to the people and that's why the, that's why these congolese refugees that sang on my album are here because of cults and a blood mineral in my cell phone and once again there's a tension in that and another issue that i can't solve but i want to be sad about it you know i am sad about it and i want other people to be sad about it and I want our social media feeds to reflect that sorrow rather than celebrating strength and might and power and dominance and fire and fury. Yeah. And that's what Warlike's about. That's okay. Warlike is one of my favorites. Thank you. Um, I, I think my mom's coming around to liking it. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like the lyric. Maybe she likes it for the rock and roll aspect. Yeah. <laughs> well, something, uh, something I appreciate a lot about the album is how many songs have extensive outros or like these peak bridges that are just like these big musical moments. Mm -hmm. And it, to a certain extent, seems, it, it fits so thematically with the lyrics that you're almost saying, like, I'm going to take a step back because there's, there's, a, there's a point where words end mm. and music can accomplish something different. Mm. So I don't know if that's exactly what was your intention was, but that's that's what I got. Well, when I say you don't look a thing like Jesus Christ to me, you look like self-righteous apathy. You look like entitlement, supremacy, ye who tread on the weak to defend the wealthy. You talk so casually of endless battles, factions, and schisms. Can't you see the casualties of your hyper-nationalism? And I say, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> then it's time for him uh, screaming guitar solo at that point. I yeah. think that's what we needed is a guitar solo. And, and it says it, you know, as Beatles said, still my guitar gently weeps. And that's, that's, that's a, a sorrowful and yet a, it's, it's sorrowful and it's hopeful. And the same with Brighter Than Apathy. Like that song almost didn't need lyric because of how much emotion was in all of that, the synthesizers and the guitar. Yeah. And the lyric was just like the icing on the cake. It already was there. <laughs> the soul of that song was already there, and we just yeah. had to let it breathe for a while. Do you actually have a lot of music written? The music comes, or like the lyrics come later? This was, this was way different than any other time before. Okay. When we, got, when we started writing, with, early on, I only wrote 10 songs when we recorded 10 songs when we were indie way back in the day. But then when we started... With record labels, they would have us write with other people, and I developed some great relationships with people I like to write with. And some of those songs happened in three minutes, or in three hours. <laughs> I wrote a four-minute long song in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but these are just, you know, there's, there was just a, sh a ton of elements all over the place. A guitar line, a bass line, a chord progression, and lyric and melody just all over the place. So the year of 2017 
was just all about compiling that because it was just scattered mm. all over the place and just yeah. finding what matched up. And you know, a lot of a lot of the lyric that ended up on Brighter Than Apathy felt like it was going to be in Warlike, and vice versa. But and some of that even could have been a commodity. Yeah, like four years ago. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> it is. All, it was a fun way, but it's stressful. It's like, yeah. oh, I can't. I, I, didn't, I didn't able to use it. Like, Bright and Athy gets done, and I had to cut like three or four whole verses. And then oh, I was like, crazy. well, man, I really love some of this, but it doesn't fit in Polaris the way I hope. And Polaris didn't even have any lyric. So Polaris pretty much took the leftover lyric from Brighter Than Apathy, and it all got reworked. Interesting. Dang. So you can see they're the same song in many ways. Yeah. It's the same exact idea said in a different way. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. That's, that's a really uh, interesting way of writing an album. And then Endless, our song is Endless. You'll see elements of that. There are a lot of older Remedy Drive fans are, are like, hey, it seems like you're stealing from yourself from 2004. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a lot of that from a song called Statues, this, uh, you know, this anti-consumerism, anti-materialism mindset of like, hey, we're more than just what we buy and what we own and yeah. where we live. And that, that re-emerged on this one, too. It's fine. As, as like a Christian, as a musician, what would you say are the, are the major changes you've seen in, in your life between those old like daylight is coming days and, and now if you could pinpoint like a like an overarching theme of how god has like changed you or grown you as a musician when daylight came out in 2008 we were just really surprised that it worked because mm-hmm. we were indie and then you start playing all these arenas and start getting the sense that you accomplished something i did i started thinking wow look what we've done and looking back, I never really felt like I, you know, I never really felt like it, but I put so much stock in that success and that, the fame that it brought. And that's just deadly. And having that die, um, even though there's still that in me, I think it's in all of us, there's for just recognition. It's not a bad, it's not a bad feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's longing to be recognized or acknowledged and your songs to be recognized. Um, Dying to that has been, I think, really healthy for me, healthy for my marriage. And um, something I love about, I think, Allie and, and Bono, I heard recently that she makes him go and um, stay in a hotel for, like, I think, up to a month after, after a world tour. Uh, and then he gets visiting hours with, with all of that, <laughs> <all of> <laughs> just to come down from that. Oh, man, it's you know, crazy savior of the world mentality that he has yeah but then when it collided with this work i said in daylight the darkness precedes the dawn hold on daylight is coming i'm waiting for the dawn i'm looking for the dawn but never in my life before have i really 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 been excited about the coming kingdom because i've had rock music i have a family i have a wonderful wife and i've never prayed for lord Please don't wait any longer. And that is the overwhelming theme of my prayers now. Yeah. It backs up some of the lyric I wrote 10 years ago. It's actually something that, that's very real to me. I, I want to see justice. And I know that we're not supposed to just sit back and wait for him to come. But at the same time, I know that this work is going to be finished through the return of a righteous ruler on the planet. 
Um, and I don't know how that all works, but I know he's coming to make it right. And that is kind of the, 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 the groundwork from our relationship with God and from our conversations is this hope um, and this expectancy. In the same way that all of nature groans with earnest expectation. Um, my heart really groans. It's not just my vocal cords anymore. It's coming from my heart. And we've, we've spoken about a few of my favorite songs, like Warlike and Brighter Than Apathy, but that, that might be a decent segue into talking about Sunlight on Her Face. Mm. Where, yeah. where did that song come from? So Sunlight on Her Face, I was on top of a hotel. I'm always juggling roles with my involvement with the Exodus Road. I, I, I love it that Matt will call me to do training operations to go to Latin America. I got the phone call, and I got to be one of a three-person team that go down there and train our new people. And I want to have that credibility of, you know, just with him, that knowing that, that he believes in my ability on finding evidence and training these guys on some of our techniques, and that was a thrill to me. So this is one of the areas where I get pulled thin, is I was in this training meeting in Asia, but we only had one day left with our friend Sudhir from India. India. So I go up on top of the building with Sudhir and just to talk for a while. And there's sheets blowing in the wind. We had helped buy him a vehicle recently. Yeah. And he says, because of that vehicle, they thought we were the rich customer. And he said three of his operatives and himself were offered these virgin girls because they thought they were rich. And they got them all in the same room. And he says, I'm very excited in my heart right now for the police to come, but the police weren't coming because they didn't get the code word. And they're trying to rescue all these three girls from the same room and take down this brothel all at the same time. It's not working out good. And he shows me some of the footage of it on his laptop. It's, it's awful. You know, these girls are scared to death. They're having to pretend to be there for what they're there for. And they're not going through with it. The girls think they're going to go through with it. They're scared. They're screaming. There's, it, it got really awful. And then they rescued them. These girls never got offended on. It was an amazing moment. And as he continues to talk, he tells, he's just telling me stories. And I think it's helpful for him to, you know, to tell these stories to somebody. And sometimes he'll get locked into these places well, they'll lock a door behind you and they'll lock a second door and then there's the girls and you take a girl to a room. And he says this happens to some of these girls, you know, 10, 15 times a day. This is their life, seven days a week. This is all they know. And he said, and the way he said it with his accent, he said some of these girls haven't seen the sunlight for days. And when he said that, it just really stuck with me. And so when I went to write it, it just poured out of me. When I got home from that trip, it poured out of me in all those couplets. You know, she's resigned, it seems, and exhausted, too. She's got memories of a dream that got lost in root. But her eyes still gleam from across the room. You see this defiance in the eyes of these girls. I'm in the room with them. You see that they know, I think they know, that this is not who they are, that they, you know, but they've been convinced otherwise. The word for prostitute in Cambodian is, is like synonymous with the phrase like broken girl 
you see that tension between this girl that knows she's broken, she's an outcast to society, she she's, doesn't have worth and value, she's guilty, she's embarrassed, and yet her eyes still gleam from across the room. And all these specific moments in my memory that I can never share with anybody, I can't t tell you specifics, I can't show you her picture, her face of girls that have been rescued and girls that haven't been rescued, girls that are my friends because I've known them for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour, and sometimes they're in the same club that I go back to, and I see them again, and we talk again. I know her parents' names. I know how many kids are in her family. I, I know that she doesn't like her work. She doesn't like to sleep with men. She doesn't get paid. She has to drink 10 to 15 shots of tequila a night at 15 or 14 years old. She smokes hookah for eight hours a night. She has to dance. It's dehumanizing for her. It's demoralizing for her. And then as the song progresses, and the more I've been in this work, the more I go to different cultures and see how similar is it in, in different cultures, that same look, you see that same look. Everything I'm describing, it's across the board. Yeah. And I realize that's got to be the same look that that girl that washed Jesus' feet with her hair gave him. She was wore out. She was exhausted of her lifestyle. And there was something about him that drew her to him. And there's something about him that he was constantly in the company of these wonderful um, and valuable girls. She washed her feet, his feet with her hair and expensive perfume. And then all the women in his lineage, and two that share that similar profession, just trying to, trying to take it out of these statistics, the 40 million, and it's just about this precious girl from the countryside for me. Yeah. And I want it to be about that for anybody that gets involved in this work. That's a sunlight on her face. And exactly like we were talking about earlier, it doesn't matter how small the work is that God gives you to do. It doesn't matter if it seems like you're accomplishing nothing. When you put a face on it, yeah. you're not accomplishing a small thing. You're you're changing someone's life. And I got to meet a girl in Cambodia that was one of eight girls that was rescued. And that was with the organization that makes our T-shirts. They're called Agape International. Mm -hmm. So they make all Remedy Drive T-shirts from now on. And I got to go kind of just see. I had a day off. So I flew over there and back. Mm -hmm. you know, I was in the country for less than 24 hours. And she had been rescued. And she actually came to the States for a while and married a German guy. She looks like she's... 18, so she's like 22, I think. And seeing her on the other side and how she now is investing in these other women and girls that are coming out of trafficking and their children, they've changed, they've renovated a whole community. It gives me hope. That girl gave me hope in a really awesome way that I hadn't had it before. Because yeah. not only can they come out of it, but they, they can, if there are people to love them and stay with them long, they can um, become so remarkable on the other side. Yeah. Um, that encourages me. And it speaks to the resilience of our design. Yeah. For the past, past few minutes, I keep thinking about how we need to weep with those who weep. Mm -hmm. um, but when Scripture tells us that, it's side by side with rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine someone being able to serve with Exodus Road or IJM or, or whatever without being able to weep those who weep. 
Mm. And, you know, if you don't start out that way, you'll probably end up that way. And to see this, this darkness and to see this pain, to see someone who, who's crying and just needs help, just to be able to cry, cry with them, cry for them. And that's, that's the thought that was going through my head for the past few minutes until you started talking about the Cambodian girl who's out. Mm. And now she's helping other girls. Yeah. And now she's at the point, like, like where her life is at. Like, rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. And those commands add meaning to both. Um, mm. Because if you can only rejoice with people when they're rejoicing, yeah. um, and you can't weep with them when they're weeping, um, then you're just feeding off of their happiness. You're not yeah. actually investing in their emotions. But if you can only weep with those who are weeping, and you can't rejoice, um, then you've lost sight of the fact that God is in control and he's, he's going to return and he's going to make everything right. Which is a concept that I think is beyond comprehension or theological construct. Seriously. To make right what is wrong yeah. is, is, I think, going to have to unravel time yeah. and set things right for humans. And I don't know how that works. Gandalf was asked in that other side behind the whatever they call the crystal sea or the glassy sea what does does what was bad that happened here come undone and I think there's an undoing of injustice in addition to I, I, I don't know how that works but yeah. I'm excited to see it and I have a absolute confidence in it because to just weep you're right would be wrong and to just rejoice which I think to just rejoice would be a focus on what is what is positive and what is safe and what is um, a win or a blessing, which I think encapsulates, unfortunately, our culture's Christianity. But not the whole world's, but our culture's Christianity is just this obsession with, with when we prosper. Yeah. And out of that, you have uh, these her- heretical teachings. You know, Corey, Corey did tease me, signed my ba- our bass player teased me and my kids and signed me up for this guy that sends us like these erasers that'll erase our debt or like this water that you pour in your credit cards and that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> and it, that has been, that you see that around the world. But I'm glad you mentioned that because I am convicted. I need to find and celebrate these these things that are worth celebrating. And that's always been something I'm not good at. You know, even yeah. like career celebrations, I've always been like, well, a lot of work to be done. <laughs> and that's something I do focus, focus yeah. on. It's like when something's to celebrate, let's celebrate it. Yeah. Let's rejoice. But I, I, I completely related with what you shared a little bit earlier, that like just recently you started actually praying for God to come. Mm. I, I think I spent like 95% of my life thus far just wanting my life to be as good right now as possible. Mm rather than actually praying uh, for Christ to come, knowing that that's ultimately like Christ's return is when all of the, all of the prophets are fulfilled, when all of the promises come true, mm-hmm. when everything that's been imputed to us in Christ comes to its fruition. There's an interesting thought. Um, and in my, in my doubts and in my questions, I wonder if this is what's going on. It says hasten the day. Like we're here to hasten that day. Yeah. Hasten that glorious appearing. And I think the hastening is the involvement. Is the because when the kingdom comes, the kingdom is gonna banish poverty and injustice right. and corruption. Those iron teeth of corruption are gonna eventually turn into powder. And I'm excited about that. And that's why I'm able to look at that corruption right in the face, because I know that 
these actions that we're doing, even though they're small by comparison to the scale of the corruption, these small actions are going to outlive that corruption. And also when you face darkness on a regular basis, just remembering that, you know what? If darkness was going to overcome the light, it would have overcame it by now. And yeah, all we got is a candle <laughs> in the darkness, but this candle's strong. Yeah. And this candle will outlast the darkness yeah. and will shine like the star someday. Um, so with the, with the return, one thing that I want to focus on and, and to emphasize uh, personally and publicly is that maybe he's waiting for you. Like Frederick, Frederick Douglass said, yeah. maybe the king is doing these things. He's going to restore the planet, right? He cares about the planet. He's going he's gonna to end poverty. He's going to bring health and medicine to everybody that needs it. Everybody that's sick, he's going he's gonna to fix that. He's going to fix these things. And maybe he's just waiting for enough of, of us to start following his instruction in those areas, in those arenas of compassion, mercy, justice. And then he'll, and then he'll just kind of like lift that up. This yeah. thing that's already going on. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, like we don't sit back and wait for him to come. Yeah. We, we actively help bring it about yeah. by sending his gospel forth. I'm not going to dump, for instance, a ton of oil in the ocean because he's just going to come clean it up anyways. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get excited about people that do do that yeah. um, because I don't think he is. And in that same regard, I'm not going, you know, he says, here's another, I, I, here's another great, his, his stories, you know, his parables. Just because you only get one coin, not everybody has the same thing, you know. I don't have the same platform as Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know. Um, and he's using that platform, he's investing it. But I got this one coin, you know. What if I just buried it in the ground because I, it's just one coin, it's just one talent. It's cool how that word actually translates into English, you know. Yeah. Um, he's going to be bummed out. You know, he's going to have rough things to say to me when I see him. So you have your talent. You got, you know, the things he gets excited about, it seems like, he, that, that, that have lasted through history. The story of that woman giving her only two pennies mm-hmm. when all these other guys are blowing their trumpets, announcing their gift. Yeah. And they're... This girl gave her last two pennies, and he's like, that, I see that. Yeah. And sometimes I do worry about, you know, I'm not blasting trumpets, but I am blasting guitars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but at the same time, like, that's my way of, of exposing yeah. things and calling people in. Even, like, the, the story you shared earlier, like, breaking the perfume yeah. over Jesus and cleaning his feet. Jesus' response was, like, this story is going to go with the gospel wherever the gospel oh, that's goes. that's awesome. Um, I'm like, why is that? Yeah. It's because you don't, like, you don't really have the gospel yeah. without us, like, breaking ourselves over Christ, without us investing everything that he's given us back into him. Mm-hmm. And when he said, following that, the poor you will have with you always, yeah. he's quoting Deuteronomy. And in that, it, the next thing it says, therefore always make sure to look after them. Yeah, like they're, they're crazy laws that we, like, I think if we're just going through like a reading plan of the year, we're not going to realize yeah. um, how thoughtful of the poor a lot of those laws in Deuteronomy are. Yeah. Like, uh, don't take like the fruit and vegetables from the edge of your land yeah. so that passersby can eat, eat off your crops. The exile, the stranger, the poor, the oppressed. And poor, not just mean 
la- those that lack political representation as well are who, who are considered poor. And that word, it, it doesn't translate it. You know, it says poor all the time, but what does that mean? Those that don't have power um, take their side, take their cause, be their voice. Those of you who have influence, use your influence on their behalf. That idea is mentioned 2,100 times in Scripture. You know, some of these other things we talk about all the time are mentioned two, three, five, seven times. That's 2,100 times. Yeah. Maybe it's important. (laughs) Maybe it's important. (laughs) And also, Jeremiah the prophet said, he took the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord God Almighty? Isn't that what it means to have a perfect relationship with me, says Jesus Christ? I was naked, and you looked the other way. I was hungry and you didn't feed me i was at your doorstep asking for food i was a girl in europe that met a group of christians and begged them to rescue me from sex trafficking and and you gave me a bible instead what's your problem (laughs) i don't know you i don't know where you're from you don't know me or on the other hand you were self-sacrificial i know you well done um i'm not a theologian but I read those words and I'm not inspired by the judgment aspect of everything. I'm inspired by, man, I have a chance to, to really tangibly know Jesus Christ. And somehow he's at the same time in these selfless actions. It's him. He's, he is, it's his flesh and blood. We always say hands and feet, you know, that's his body. He's, he's, he's real and he's tangible in 2018. And at the same time, he's also that, girl that's stuck in sex trafficking and he is that guy on the street corner that we drive past and i don't know how that works but that's where we realize um that relationship that we all crave and talk about and i just want to keep on talking about that but it's got to be in context with these actions right james says yeah yeah um it's true that you're justified by faith. He says, you idiot. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. If, if it was really just Abraham's faith that saved him, it wasn't. He, he did something. He acted on it. So the Southern James says, and therefore we see that you are justified not by what you believe, but by what you do with that belief. Yeah. And uh, that's, for some reason, it's thin ice, but I, 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 I don't mind yeah. skating on that thin ice. Yeah. I've been reading through um, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, mm. and uh, in its chapter on justification, mm. it says in older sounding English that we are justified by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone, because Ooh, faith wow. that justifies also comes with love and mercy and the good works of God. Mm. That's awesome. Something along those lines. So Catchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I have I have a question I really wanted to ask you. Let's let's go to that real quick, and uh, then we can finish up here soon. Cool. <laughs> Are you familiar with the term didactic? Like preachy? It can be interpreted that way. There, there there's a negative connotation to didactic, and there's a yeah. positive connotation to didactic. Uh, the positive connotation, which I prefer, is uh, that art should be both entertaining and informative. Hmm. Which I think is something that North Star in particular uh, does extremely well. Mm. Um, but I think if someone wanted to, they could try to critique it and say, you're not really trying to create art anymore. You're just trying to make message music. Mm. You're just trying to put an idea inside of a medium. Um, so I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are 
about that and how you think about that balance between being artful and informative? I, I love that question, man. Um, rock and roll from the outset has always been a force of defiance against systems of control. You know, it's always that, that it was burged in that, you know, and I'm, I am writing these songs uh, knowing that they're influenced by melodies, some of which I know, some of which I don't know, that have always been part of the abolition. Songs that would help slaves find the North Star. Uneducated slaves that didn't know astronomy could find the North Star because of these songs they sang. And that way it was informative. And even the word informative, it's inward forming. I believe that art needs to have an inward forming element to it. And all, all the art in my life does, it, it forms something new inside of me. It opens up caverns in my heart that didn't even know existed. Yeah. And what is entertainment? It means to, to enter and hold captive the mind. Entertainment, you know, if you break that word down. Yeah. And I have this chance to use art to hold the mind and also to move somebody. If it doesn't move somebody, <laughs> it failed. And that's the purpose of art is to move. And where it moves us to is, is um, a separate thing, right? So to, to move someone, if, if I get moved by a piece of art, they've accomplished what they need to accomplish. And I just, hopefully that direction that I'm pointing people towards is away from apathy and towards action. Yeah. Um, and I am critical of a lot of uh, so-called artists because, you know, are we merely like feel sometimes like we're writing jingles or commercials, right? <laughs> and that would be my biggest fear. <laughs> For uh, for anything that I'm part of would be that it's just merely this yeah. sellout, shrink-wrapped um, commercial, you know? And there's a tension in that. You know, one of my favorite bands, U2, some of their stuff is just so just, it almost feels that way on this new album. It almost feels like you had something to say and you put it in a song. Um, but it's always been what I kind of loved, too. And Bob Dylan <laughs> does it. Bob Dylan does it so good. <laughs> Is he 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 makes it so poetic. He says, "Let us not talk falsely." Now the hour is getting late, you know, in the Watchtower, mm -hmm. and then it becomes something completely different when Hendrix plays it, you know. But that heart of it has to be coming from somewhere. I like that question because it's definitely a concern of mine. I always reference my mom, and I love it when she hears these interviews too. But she's like, are you going to become one of those cause-based bands? <laughs> <laughs> and that was around the time of commodities, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah think so. sure am. Yeah. <laughs> and she's proud of me. She's really proud of me. Good. Yeah, I loved how you took it to talk about how art is formative. I think all, all art, and like if a human is interacting with it, it is formative. Yeah. I think what the difference is that you pointed out is whether the person creating the art realizes that it's formative or cares how it's formative. Mm. Um, if, someone's, yeah. if they're just making, like they're trying to make that jingle, they're trying to make that radio hit, exploiting their own vices. Interesting. Wow. And, and they don't care the ways that it might be negatively form, formative yeah. upon uh, the audience. It's like everything that we take in is formative in some way. Um, but to actually take that care and be like, I know this is going to be formative. So I'm going to be careful about the ways in which it, will be which i hope it will be and prayerfully allow god to let it form people in a 
in a good way. And another thing I should say is that none of it was goal orientated. I I only wrote what I was what I was feeling and what I was taking in and what I was absorbing. Yeah. And I absorbed a lot of pain and I absorbed a lot of inspiration. And hopefully as I absorbed that, what came out was speaking first to my heart. Yeah. Like I've never had an album like this before where I embarrassingly it's almost like it's not mine. And it's almost like I didn't write those songs. Like right now I'm programming lights to it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for the live show. Yeah. And I just, it means so much to me. I love hearing it when I'm working on like programming the lights, you know? Yeah. And I don't mind if my kids are like, dad, can we listen to one of your songs? I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> for once in my life. Yeah. We can listen to me. Like, like, because I need to hear that. I need yeah. I need that to be part of my life. So in that sense, I didn't come out with a goal to like, I, I'm like, you always do, but primarily I wanted to make something really beautiful that was moving Yeah, and do honor to this story and do honor to these girls and tell their stories with dignity. And that's what I hope we accomplished. The light show you're going on tour soon? We're doing a lot of dates. Okay. Um, not like an official tour, but we're playing in South Carolina and going up to the Dakotas again. Who, who is the band right now? It's uh, Corey Horn. Been with us seven years. It's myself. And uh, Timmy Jones is touring with us a lot. He's he drummed on the album. I was gonna ask. Yeah, that's him. Man, on uh, Redemption song. Yeah. Like that's all just him playing hi hats, right? Yeah. That sounds like trap. <laughs> it sounds like trap drums. Yeah. Except it's clearly someone actually playing yeah. the hi hats, just crazy fast with a lot of precision, so clean. And I was listening to that and almost not believing it. And then in addition <laughs> to that, you know, to give. There was no real nod to reggae on the song, other than the mm-hmm. fact that it's a reggae song. Um, but in addition to that, Timmy's like, what if we had some of that really like pronounced delay on the snare? But instead of putting delay on it, you know how you can record you can record it so it echoes? Yeah. Instead of it, he played the delay. So when a snare goes, that's him faking Just delay. Just ghost notes? Yeah. Oh, sick. Yeah. Good job, Timmy Jones. <laughs> His drumming really formed a lot of the songs that really laid down the direction for a lot of work because both Polaris and Anlis, the drums were recorded before there was any lyric at all. Interesting. Um, was there anything else you'd like to say? Anything else I'd add or? Um, if people want to find out about the Exodus road, they can text remedy to five, one, five, five, five. And you'll get updates whenever there's a rescue that's been made, which is exciting. It's so cool. Yeah. It gives you options for getting plugged in in different ways. And then for ideas, because you asked, um, how do people, how do normal people get involved? I don't have a great answer, but what we're going to do is have Remedy Drive slash action is going to have just a a list and stories of different things that people have done to get involved. Um, And if you have other ways, not just for the Exodus Road that you've done something, send us a message and we'll add it to that list of ordinary people taking justice and compassion and mercy and making it theirs in, in creative ways. The JFH Podcast is hosted by Mark Rice and me, Chase Tremaine. Editing, production, and music is also by me. The podcast is executive produced by John DiBiase and Christopher Smith. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, please send an email to Christopher at JesusFreakHideout.com. We'd also love to interact with you about the episode, so feel free to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or on our website. We'd also love for you to visit RemedyDrive.com. 
The link that David mentioned a few times, remedydrive.com slash action, is not up yet, but the website still has plenty of information about the band, their music, their tour dates, and more information about the anti-trafficking organization, The Exodus Road. We thank you so much for listening, and we hope you will listen again next week. 